Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Bob Burgraff. Bob is here with his wife, Ema. Um, they've been married for 30 years um, in the summer of 2020. Um, Bob is somebody that I've known for a while now. We've met in my home. He was on a panel at North Star, and now he's doing a podcast. And by way of introduction, Bob experiences gender dysphoria, and he's experienced that for as long as he can remember. He's in his early 50s, and he's just going to share his journey. We're probably just going to start for the last few years, and this will be helpful for any of our listeners that experience gender dysphoria or want to better understand somebody walking this road. Bob is the parent. Bob and Ema are the parents of four children, one grandchild, active in the LDS church, beautiful marriages. I met with them a month or so ago. This couple just loves each other, and they're sitting right here next to each other, and they're you can just tell they have a beautiful, wonderful marriage, and um, that's one of the parts of their story I like. So we started with prayer, and we just pray that this every transgender or gender dysphoria podcast we do is different. I stepped in this space and thought all those stories were very homogeneous, but I recognize there's incredible diversity, and we need to honor the differences within that space, and, and that's why we're trying to do as many podcasts as we can so that you, our listeners, can, like me, better understand. Is that an okay introduction, Bob? That sounds great. Okay, you so... You can just keep going. <laughs> well, <laughs> our listeners have heard from me too much. And listeners, thanks for leaving reviews. I've noticed a few more pop up on Apple. I appreciate you doing that. Those of you that write written reviews, I read all those, and I really appreciate those. And those of you that are rating the podcast, I just think that helps more people engage in the podcast. So, Bob, tell us just, I, I'm, well, I know we're skipping that you've had this whole experience with gender dysphoria for like 40 years because you're early 50s and it happened earlier and it's been with you your whole life. But let's just, where do you want to pick up in the last few years? Just talk to our listeners and just introduce maybe gender dysphoria. So my story, speaking back, like you said, uh, is similar to a lot of folks who experience gender dysphoria. I think maybe where I'd like to pick up is shortly after uh, me and my wife started to work through this. Uh, it was it was a new thing. There wasn't a lot of reference material from from the church or guidance at that particular time, and we were just trying to get a grasp and learn about things. And so we actually did start to uh, participate in a number of online groups and make friends and associations. And, and, and I just did a lot of self-learning and reading to try and figure things out because when I started with this, it was really hard because of uh, my, my religious background and being raised in a, a good conservative LDS family and I've had over the years many spiritual experiences which confirmed to me the truths of the gospel. And so as I connected with being transgender or, for me, a better way of saying it is having gender dysphoria, uh, there was a lot of soul-searching, a lot of prayer and really trying to find my way I might I might say that uh, there did come a point where certain things started to happen, and that was after about a year or so, year and a half, of being in these groups and learning. I got to a point where, as I mentioned before, there was there was so little information out there to guide, and 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 that that lack of information was being filled up by many people out in the world saying what, what they thought, what they believed. But sometimes some of the things people said just didn't seem to fit very well with the gospel. And so I, I really struggled. But I got to the point where I was really searching. And I remember praying hard that I could understand or find re-emphasis or guidance 
and I prayed really hard. And I remember receiving, um, I didn't receive an answer at that time, but I do remember receiving the feeling that I would get something soon. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I just kept waiting. And it was only a few weeks after that, which was the October conference of 2018, when I was sitting at home on the Saturday morning session and President Oaks got up and delivered his address. And as I listened to what he said, it was as if the Lord was speaking directly to me through him. And I just felt a joy to have been able to to receive that message. Um, it's not like he said any real new doctrine or anything, but it it confirmed to me the path that I should be going on. I should say that I feel bad as I talk about this experience because I know that that particular talk hurt a lot of people, and I'm sensitive to that. So I kind of tell the story with concern for that. But it was at that point where, little by little, I received more and more, which directed me to kind of where I am now. Before, I considered myself transgender, and I had, you know, gender dysphoria. But over the years, and particularly recently, I've changed that identity, my self-identification. I know transgender is a big umbrella term, which covers not just people who transition, but all kinds of variations. And I consider myself part of those variations. I was one who suffered with gender dysphoria, but I didn't transition. But recently, I've kind of come to see that I really don't fit under that umbrella. I'm not transgender. I suffer with gender dysphoria, which in general is what most transgender folks suffer with. But I I consider myself uh, more maybe in another group. Again, it's more of an umbrella term, which is D-trans. Now, this particular group are widely defined as being people who have gone through the transgender experience and then have come out of it. Uh, Many times it's referring to people who have transitioned and then are detransitioning back to the sex they were at birth. Now, as I mentioned, I didn't transition, but I have gone through the transgender experience, identifying myself as being transgender. And now I'm stepping away from that. So in a way, you could say that I'm detrans. Though, really, the way I see things is I'm just a, a son of God who is trying to work through gender dysphoria, and I still really struggle with it. Thank you, Bob. And I wish our listeners could see the two of you holding hands. <laughs> um and just this beautiful love story of this marriage. Um, I recognize, for me, I'm hearing a story that's different than a lot of um, stories I've heard from people with gender dysphoria. And I think some, and one of the things I'm trying to do in this podcast and encourage our listeners to do is is honor Bob where he is and his story. Um, and if you're trans or you feel like there's a, a narrative in a transgender community that Bob doesn't match, I'm hoping we don't feel threatened by that or we don't feel Bob's not being true to himself or not being authentic. I think what I hope you're feeling is a deeply spiritual man who's worked really hard to figure out his own personal path within this space. And I know one of the burdens sometimes LGBTQ members feel is that the way they're the way they're walking this road in Bob's case with gender dysphoria is not honored by other people. And so I just hope we can create 
space for everybody to to have their own space because um, your story is different than the other podcasts we've done. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about Elder Oaks's talk. I think most of our listeners and maybe, you know, recognize that sometimes thing Elder Oaks says over the pulpit are, is hard for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, active members of the church, but sometimes it's just what they need to hear. So that whole experience is not always just linear. Um, there's nuance within that. And and within that same talk that you're empathetically recognizing was hard for some people was deeply helpful for you. And so I, I think we need—I love the maturity of you just honoring, you know, other people's experience, but I'm trying to honor your experience, and I think we can honor your experience. If, if someone's never heard of gender dysphoria, and this is just gen— Gender Dysphoria 101, will you just explain that um, to someone who's never heard that term? Yeah, so gender dysphoria uh, basically is when a person feels distress with the gender that they were assigned at birth. So in my situation, it has to do with uh, me being born as a man, and yet for much of my life, feeling much closer to being female and male. With gender dysphoria, too, it, it's it's something that can be really encompassing, meaning once you put yourself on a path to address gender dysphoria, it can at times be all-consuming. I, I know for me, and I've seen with others, once you start there, it, it seems to just take over your life. I mean, that's what you want to talk about, it's what you want to read about, it's what you want to try and figure out, but, yeah. Um, thank you for that, because, you know, cisgender, I, I Googled that about three years ago. You know that term, Bob. I just recognize that cis people or cisgender people that have never felt that, it's probably very difficult for someone like me to understand how you feel. And I might be tempted to dismiss that or say that that's, or explain it away really simply with something um, that would kind of explain this way, but as I, I mean, there's a lot of heartache in your answer to that question. I sense this is something that's caused you a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you can't just push a button and say, I'm done with gender dysphoria. No, I, I wish I've tried. <laughs> um, but it is something that, that can be, well, it is painful. And, Oftentimes it's it's the pain that we focus in on, of course, because we're hurting. But I do have to say that the feelings that I have, the sensitivity that I have, can also be positive. I know my wife says she wouldn't trade me for a cis man. She enjoys how I open up and That's cool. And uh I'll just chat with her all the time and as if we were just really good friends. So Ema's got a great smile on her face yeah. as you're saying that. Mm-hmm. We often do talk about the pain and suffering, but for me, I it's part of who I am in the sense of it, it's it's not just some a characteristic I developed. I mean it's 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 like a part of your soul. And and I think it to some degree some of these characteristics are almost Christ-like. And so, yeah, oftentimes when I first started to learn about being transgender, I just hated this part of myself. I hated what I was feeling. I hated what I would think, and I would suppress it and, and all these things. And it wasn't until maybe a few months ago that I really came to terms with these feelings and was it eventually able to truly love myself, all of myself? That's cool. I just think heaven, our heavenly parents would want us to do what you just said about yourself. And I think to love all of ourself and think how each of us is created doesn't take agency off the table, doesn't make us perfect, but I think we need to look in the mirror, especially if we're experience gender dysphoria or somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum and, and, and come to where you are. Cause I think 
that takes away the shame and uh, that how what I'm feeling inside is so is not the typical experience since there's so much shame and then that often in my experience separates us from God and separates us from prayer and feeling like we're worthy of God and he loves us because we're not happy with this part of ourselves we don't think God is and so I love where you are (laughs) well and it's also kind of our culture you know who sees these transgender folks as being just so weird or just crazy as they might think and and those kind of perceptions really weigh down on people i mean like me i mean it was it was really hard for me to to come out and in the sense of you know talking to people about this i really did need to to come to grips with it myself before i could really share it with others Will you, in ge- if you want to use any of your own experiences or just in general, if someone's under wanting to understand things that might you might want to do with gender dysphoria, like when you're shopping, or just are there ex- just examples you can give to people um, that are evidence of the gender dysphoria you experience, and then what it makes you sometimes want to do? Yeah. Now I'm going to put a little twist on Good. this. And I'm going to give you an experience where I struggled, but how I addressed it. This uh, this was only, I don't know, three or four months ago. Me and my wife were in another part of the Salt Lake Valley. And we saw one of these department stores that I'd never been in before. So we had time and we decided to just stop and check it out. And just as we entered the door, we practically ran into the women's section, the women clothes section. And, you know, for many years, that wasn't a real problem for me. But at this particular point, I was really trying to cope with the gender dysphoria. And just as we got there, uh, the gender dysphoria triggered. And... I guess to explain what that is, I mean, it means that I wanted to buy some clothes. <laughs> um, but when this happened, I remember I just turned to my wife and I said, you go ahead, you spend the time you need, you look through whatever you want. I'm going to go to another part of the store. Now, you just can't walk away from uh, gender dysphoria and once those feelings are triggered, it's it's an emotional strain, and you can't necessarily choose to not have it. I mean, it's there. But I started heading back towards one of the back corners of the store, and this is one of the ways that I find help is with meditation. Now, you might think it'd be hard to meditate in a department store, so... This is a variation of it, but what I did was I got my headphones out and put them in, and I have a meditation playlist that I like, and so I just put in my headphones and I started to calm myself, basically meditate while just standing up kind of thing. And I was able to do that for a short period of time, and meditation doesn't take away gender dysphoria. But what I found is that it helps me have a healthy state of mind. And it's with that healthy state of mind that I can better address the gender dysphoria. So in this case, you know, after, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, I had calmed down and actually things got better. So it's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Any other examples that come to mind? Uh, about just gender dysphoria, actual real life frontline examples, just so our listeners understand. Well, something that if people could see me, they might wonder, you know, what's this guy doing with with his long hair? And I know most people don't think twice about it, except for that they might not like it. I think your wife likes it because she's smiling. Yeah, <laughs> she's always wanted me to have long hair, but. Because of jobs and things, I never could. But what I found was, uh, now, gender dysphoria oftentimes 
What triggers it can be when you see your own body and the discomfort or distress of seeing what you don't want to see. Well, as I started to grow my hair out, I actually used it as a type of coping technique in the sense that as I would go to a mirror, my eyes would be drawn to my hair, the long hair, instead of other areas. And so it became a really, a real effective way of helping, you might say, remove some triggers. That's, that's another experience. Uh, thanks for sharing that one. Now, I might mention a, a few other things, too. So I actually, uh, I remember a few months ago, I, I go to therapy, which is really good. I found it to be very helpful. And one of the things that uh, we w- would work through is how to manage the gender dysphoria. Now, a lot of this was kind of done on my own with a lot of self-learning, meaning we would talk about some things, but then I would go on my own and just research things. I mean, I love to read, and I, I don't mean just like magazine articles, but I like to get into like the the medical journals and the psych, psychology papers. And, and I actually started to discover a number of different ways to uh, manage the gender dysphoria. In fact, I remember at one point, uh, I started to write down all the different things that can help me. And I stopped after getting to 20 because there, there was more and, and there's other things. And, and all these techniques, again, are to help manage the dysphoria, meaning it doesn't get rid of it. And they don't all work all the time. But usually I can find one that will work. It doesn't mean I don't suffer. I do have my very hard challenges. But, but I've been doing better. I've, I know over the last six months or so, I've been feeling stronger does it help to talk about it? You were at the panel on North Star. North Star is an, has an annual convention in the early March, and you were on that panel and talked about, there was probably a couple hundred people in that room. I had the opportunity to be the panel moderator, and there were a lot of questions coming your way. You gave great answers. Does that does it help to talk about it or not? Does that trigger well, the, reminding you you have gender dysphoria? Well, at this point, in my life where I have come to love myself and I've come to better understand and be able to manage things, I, I, I don't mind. I probably would not have been so open, say, two years ago. But at this point in my life, um, I don't really have a problem. And I don't mind talking. But I would say that, yeah, one of the things that has helped me quite a bit over the years is, is being able to talk about this, but most of the time it's been with my wife. She's been so patient with me. Like I said before, sometimes it can be just all-consuming and might be like the only thing I want to talk about. But she's been very supportive, very patient, and it has been this this ability to let things come out and to be able to, to talk about them. That is very helpful. It has been helpful. Sometimes we say things that we don't understand. It's a sign of the last days or Satan deceiving his children. Um, I assume that you've heard that about you, that this is just Satan confusing you. Um, do you want to—that may be a little painful for me to even say that out loud. I don't want to create more pain. Will you address that? And I think my feeling is that this isn't Satan. This is—you're not being deceived. This is not you being confused. But will you share your— your thoughts with our listeners? Yeah, so that's a really touchy thing in the sense that I know that, and, and, and I know that I've felt these things before where you feel like people who just can't stick to the Lord's path exactly, well, then it's got to be bad, right? It's not right. But what I've seen is that the Lord does have one path through his covenants, but there are so many ways that we can walk that path. And this thing about being deceived, I think that's a really 
poor choice of words to use. We all are trying to learn things. Things that I say and do now might be different than what I said or did before. Some people might say, oh, we were deceived. No, I I was trying to do the very best that I could. So I I would discourage trying to to point out people and say that they're deceived. I think we're all really trying to work through this the best we can. It reminds me of um, of a psychologist that I I read, um, Mark, Mark Yarhouse. He actually spoke about issues with gender dysphoria and looking at them from a a Christian point of view. And one of the things that I liked about his writing was he spoke about giving people redemptive space. And that has to do with not judging them right off the bat, not putting them in buckets or in groups and, you know, just judging them, but but allowing them the space to work through what they're going through. And if you really think about it, we're all in a redemptive space with the plan of our Father. Our time here on earth is a time for us to prepare. And not just with gender dysphoria people, but all of us need that space. And it reminds me about a talk by Elder Uchtdorf, who talked about judging others. And and he he said it very well of just stop it. <laughs> so... When, and, and I know it's easy for us when we see someone who looks really different from us or is just strange or their mannerisms are different or anything like that. It's, it's very, I think it's it's almost, you know, the natural man to, to judge those things and to, to group them and separate us. But those are probably the times more than ever we need to step back and say, okay, I'm not going to judge. This person is working through things just like I'm working through things. And I think it was President Uchtdorf who said he saw a bumper sticker that said, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. So we just need to be kind and sensitive and non-judgmental. And, and believe it or not, if we can be like that, that allows people who do have gender dysphoria to feel more accepted. But even more than that, help us to come out more, which we do need to. We need to be able to express what we're going through and and not feel like we're going to be hurt. So, I love those comments, Bob. And um, I think of, I like your examples and I appreciate you just being honest with the shopping experience and the long hair. And um, I just love that, that that is how you, this isn't, I don't feel any rebellion from you. I don't feel a desire to not do what's right. I just feel that those two examples are just insights into how you feel with gender dysphoria and what helps um, relieve that. And I love what you talked about long hair and how that, you know, helps you feel, you know, it, it it's not rebellion. It's not trying to leave the church. I know you're an active member of the church. It's just... And so I think it takes empathy for all of us that are cisgender to not just project our experience onto you. And I, and so I think sometimes, you know, I would, to keep everything in a nice tidy box for me that I don't understand, everything I don't understand, I would just say, well, that's a, I could say this, that's a sign of the last days, society going downhill, God confusing his children. But before I say that, I need to talk to trans people before I sort of share opinions about trans people, I'll read you a quote from a mother for this book I'm writing. This is a mother of a transgender child. Um, We don't need to count the LGBTQ population to know we're in the last days. There's evil around us for sure. And Satan is having a heyday. I don't believe his work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, he takes us precious children of God You're one of these, Bob, and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. He also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His gospel is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding, not because this group has been deceived, 
and now our trends are gay. He is succeeding because he is keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. And then I'm doing a side note on this quote. I think of your wife, your dear wife, that doesn't need to hear this advice because she's doing it already. But back to the quote, we could do better to help heal these members who are hurting like you, Bob, and feel there's no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest potential. The answer to overcoming Satan, strengthen families, and bringing people to Christ is love. And thank you, Monica Phillips, for that quote. How do you feel about that? I agree in the sense that uh, we do need to, to love each other. Interestingly enough, I feel like the church is also extending more love towards these members who struggle. Just recently, the church put out a new handbook, and where before hardly anything had been said about transgender people, now they had a whole section. And as you read through what they say, I just get an overwhelming sense of compassion they have how they want to involve and and not shun those who are transgender, even to the point where it actually talks about how transgender members can use hormones to help address the gender dysphoria. Now, the key here is not transitioning. It's okay to take hormones if you're managing the, the gender dysphoria but it's not okay to take the hormones if you're trying to transition. And that's helpful to clarify the church's stance. And just so I understand, so make sure I understand, if I'm, you know, if I take hormones, so if I'm, I'm biologically male and if I were trans, I'd, I'd, I'd feel female inside, so I might take estrogen. Um, and the goal of that um, if it's still within the teachings of the church, is not to transition, but just to eliminate just just gender dysphoria. So that would be okay, is the way you understand the church teachings. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, again, issues with gender dysphoria is the distress that it causes, which is in our minds. And it's been seen that people who are able to take hormones, that stress is reduced. Again, helping to manage what they're going through. Though, again, I know that the mainstream narrative is people take hormones to transition, but really, it's not always the case. Um, This website you referenced, you could probably Google LDS transgender. I I mean, I could give you the full address, but um, there is a new page, and I looked at that page. You know, I can't quote the web address over my you know, just off the top of my head, but there is a dedicated transgender website and web page within the church's website, and I just think that site will grow. I thought of that page appearing for the first time, and I thought if I close my eyes and two years from now or five years looked at that page again, it's going to have more content on there than it does now. It's probably going to have more transgender stories. Um, On that page, though, is this quote from the church, um, if you have a family member or friend who identifies as transgender, pray for the pray for the love of Christ as you strive to follow the example of the Savior and love them. The commandment to love one another includes those who don't experience the world the same way we do. And I love that because the, the quote actually says, pray for us that I will know how to help a transgender person. The quote doesn't say, you know, but why I think this is fine to pay for somebody that's transgender. The quote is more asking me, a cis person, to pray so that I will have better spiritual impressions based on the doctrine of Christ to love you and to follow Christ's example, to love you and to see you for who you are and to support you. And I, I just love that quote. Any thoughts on that? Again, this I can speak from my own point of view because I had this turmoil within myself where I didn't like myself. It relates to, to many of us. I had to show compassion on myself uh, just as others, I think. And, and again, I, I can't speak for someone who is cisgender because I have gender dysphoria, but... The same concepts and principles apply to me with 
you know, when I see other things out there, whether it be like someone who has a, a drug addiction or someone who, you know, is struggling with something else where oftentimes we stigmatize them. But instead, we really do need to, to pray that our own eyes can see them as our Heavenly Father sees them. I know that sometimes as I've gone through this experience and, and you know, like I say, there's all kinds of variations of things. And sometimes I feel like some folks are, are maybe struggling in a way that I'm not. And it can be sometimes hard for me to understand what they're going through. For example, um, oftentimes when I speak with parents who have children with gender dysphoria, I'm not a parent who's gone through that. And sometimes I don't understand everything that they're going through. I remember one particular time as, as after I'd heard one of these stories, it's as if the Lord opened my heart and said, you know, these people are really suffering. And I need to be very sensitive to the way they feel, the things they're going through. So it's good for all of us. Got such a good heart. Um, the website we're talking about, if you do want to find it, it's at Church of Jesus Christ. That's our church's main website, .org, forward slash topics, forward slash transgender. And um, I also want to read a section of this book that I've, and um, I've entitled it Go Slow. <laughs> Let me just scroll a little bit here. It's not a very long section, um, and but you're the expert on this. So just I'll read this and then you can kind of give us your thoughts on this. My advice for those experiencing gender dysphoria and their parents is to go slow. Work with the therapist and seek personal revelation. There are voices from society that usually describe that usually prescribe a path that includes fully transitioning. Only hearing these voices may lead some of a gender dysphoria to conclude this is their path. Detransitioning is the cessation of the removal or the reversal of transgender identification or gender um, transition. There are stories of those who have transitioned and later regretted. I've got to see if I can scroll down without losing the rest of this. There's a little, the decision and detransition. Being aware of these stories is helpful to make a more informed decision, seek personal revelation with an eye to the long term. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, as I mentioned, I really like to dig into things. And not too long ago, I was reading about uh, children who go through this. And a lot of uh, psychologists out there now are saying the same things that you are, that these things need to be taken slow. I think I heard only about 6 to, I think, 27% of children who experience gender dysphoria continue with that into adulthood. So that is a small number. And that's not to say that some don't. I mean, some do, but we do need to take things slow. And also, I remember reading about uh, a thing called comorbidity. Probably never heard that word before. But what that is, is, is basically when you have more than one chronic illness or condition. Uh, for example, someone who has clinical depression, but also has gender dysphoria. That would be comorbidity. Some studies have been done that actually show that of the people who come in for help for gender dysphoria, 61% fall into this comorbidity or they have more than one. And out of those 61%, 75% gender dysphoria is actually the secondary, not the primary condition that needs addressing. So I guess... If anything, it's just to say it's hard for us, particularly when they're children, to make decisions that could affect the rest of their lives when there's all these different factors. I was reading some of the examples. Uh, for example, schizophrenia. 
they say that 25% of all individuals who experience schizophrenia in some point in their life will also experience gender dysphoria. But you can't really detect schizophrenia until individuals are, are young adults. And there, there are other issues like this. I, uh, I heard, uh, I think it was with the schizophrenia or, or another, that some individuals, and I, I want to clarify that this, this is probably a small portion, but some individuals, when they take antipsychotic medication, the gender dysphoria actually goes away. And when they stop the, the medicine, it comes back. So there's just a wide range. And so when we're talking about children, we really need to be cautious because it can. And, and there are cases out there where it can really adversely affect the children. And that's um, really the goal of this podcast is to try to share as many stories as possible to not create a monolithic narrative for any of the people on the LGBTQ spectrum and um, every story is different. And I think hearing Bob's story is helpful. And I think we all agree, even if we, there's some disagreement with our listeners, exactly how we feel about this subject, that going slow is good. Making I've always felt better personal revelation happens when we have better information. And so I think hearing stories is helpful for parents and for LGBTQ people, if they're uh, you know involved with a parent, to make better decisions, and there are just a lot of factors here, but I think we all agree that gender dysphoria is real. So, um, you know, you haven't transitioned. There's three stages of transition we've talked about on this podcast: social, legal, and medical. And obviously, with maybe the exception of longer hair, you've done. <laughs> Um, no transitioning, and so you're not even taking on the transgender umbrella. Um, but you're, but you are talking about gender dysphoria as a very real thing, and so I think that's the common point here: is this is a real thing, and then everybody's got to figure out how they're going to manage gender dysphoria. And I think Bob and I and everybody are inviting everybody to do that in a thoughtful way. But there's not—I don't think Bob's saying take my story. And make it your story. No, please don't. But he's saying, give me permission to have my own story, even if it's not, even if it's maybe a smaller percent of those that, um, how they're handling, I don't know if it is or not, but it's just a story within the whole gender dysphoria of how you're managing this. And so if Bob's, so I think sometimes if it's true, your story is from a minority perspective where sometimes devout. That's not a word, devalidate. I'm making up words on the podcast listeners. I'm good at that. And we some t we add to your burden by saying, well, you're not, your story is a little bit threatening to me, so I'm going to dismiss your story or say you're not living your truth. That's another phrase I've sort of picked up in society. You've got to live your truth. And society sometimes has an impression of what that is. But I kind of say, you know, drown out those voices if you need to, but you've got to live your own truth based on your own path and your own personal revelation. And I think you get a A plus doing that um, because I think you've worked really hard to figure out what is my truth within this path and work with your dear wife to do that. And, and so I, that's, but the other thought that I'm going to turn it back to you in a second, but the other thought I've been really thinking a lot about recently is the idea that the gathering of Israel, that phrase, mostly, I think if we did if I asked you listeners to write down right now, when you hear the phrase gathering of Israel, what do you think about? Most of you, well, I can't say if this is true. I have historically thought about non-members of our church that are waiting to hear the gospel in faraway land. <laughs> you both served a mission in Spain, I believe. You returned missionaries, and that's true. But now I've started to think of the gathering of Israel as being our own people that identify as LGBTQ, they're part of Israel. And so part of gathering them is helping you feel welcome. And that's part of this other message I've been feeling is we're not called to be sifters. So I'm not called to sift you. I'm not called to weed people like you out of our congregation or weed people that are a little different than me 
Um, we're called to be gatherers. The only sifting I can ever see in the scriptures is what Christ did rarely, once at the temple, and maybe there's other examples. So I just love this gathering, even as hen gathereth her chicks, you know, there's so much visual imagery. So I think of my, you know, so now I'm going to send it back to you. I've done, I've got two different things there. And if you want to comment on either of those. No, uh, I, I agree. In fact, we have a great example in the Savior as the one who left the 90 and 9 and went after the one. Not much sifting in that story. <laughs> Sorry if I get a little emotional, but I felt like I've been that one. And in a way, I consider having gender dysphoria as a blessing because it was the struggle and hardship of going through this that really helped me develop a relationship with my Savior. And so I have felt the Savior's hand extend out to me as being one of the lost. And, you know, part of my story one of the major, one of the big themes in my story is, is the feeling of being lonely. And this isn't just because of having gender dysphoria, which is, can marginalize you, but because my story is different than many who are out there, uh, I've experienced um, not fitting in. Um, not really having people reaching out to me and a lot of loneliness. And I remember I, before we met, I remember I once I reached out to you and I said, you need to hear my story because it's different. And it's not to say that mine's right or wrong or this or that, but it, but it is different, and I would hope that, and I've, I've seen it with some, but I would hope that people could, could accept and see the value that's in what I'm going through. Love that. It's pretty honest to say I felt like the sheep, and my when you talk about that, to me, I don't get the visual that you chose to leave, that it's more that you're the the single sheep because we haven't made a place for you. And yeah, sometimes we think that that sheep is the rebellious one, right? That leaves, and but mm -hmm. I think sometimes we create um, the ninety nine and one from our own culture, our own ability not to understand one of our own members who represent those sheep, and so they feel like the one. And I love the word use the word belonging. Um, everybody, or not fitting in, everybody needs to feel like they fit in. Um, fitting in, or belong, fitting is assessing a situation and becoming, some, this is Brene Brown, fitting in is assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be to fit in, but belonging doesn't require us to change who we are, it requires us to be who we are. So you, you know, being open about gender dysphoria, and obviously you belong to your wife, you don't have to, be unauthentic to her, you're authentic to her, and she loves you. And it's this beautiful, vulnerable, honest relationship. But I think that can be scaled to our congregations and to um, priesthood leaders that love you for who you are. And that's just growth we need to create, because right now most people in your situation don't would not feel comfortable opening up to a priesthood leader, perhaps, in an elder's quorum, or if they're in a release society, in a release society, because most you, you're fearful how people respond. And that sort of leads into a, and you could respond on that because I want to make sure I communicate it correctly, but, and, and ask this question, what advice would you give to local leaders listening to help someone with gender dysphoria? As I think back on my own experience, as again, mine's quite a bit different than many. When I talk to my church leaders about having gender dysphoria, of course, I wasn't transitioning, so they basically just kind of said, okay, and, and kind of 
after that thinking like, okay, Bob's Bob's handling it. Nothing to worry too much about. But maybe what they didn't realize is that gender dysphoria is not just something you can say, okay, you're fine. It actually is something that really stays with you. And I, I've noticed over over the last little while or long while that it would have been nice to have a more uh, close relationship with these leaders. And what I mean by that is not not just, you know, saying hi in the hall or chatting for a few moments here and there, but I think particularly with those who struggle with these issues, you need to, to really build close relationships because for me, like I said, I didn't have very many people I could reach out to, particularly with my situation. And I did feel this loneliness. The door was always open. I could go talk to my bishop or stake president, but that relationship was never encouraged or, or grown. I mean, I'm, I'm in good, I mean, they are good friends of mine, but you really have to kind of develop a close relationship with these people before they can really start to share what's in their heart, because it is hard to share and you don't want to be hurt. And there's a lot of fear a lot of unknown. And the only way to really help someone is to be able to get to a point, a relationship that they can open up about that. And then they can feel, again, a, an environment of non judgmental, loving kindness. If you can achieve that with someone who has gender dysphoria, you can have a big impact in their life. I'm not saying again that anything's going to take away the gender dysphoria but you can have a big impact if you can develop that relationship. On the church's website, and I'll give that address in a second, for local leaders, you have to be a local leader to be able to log in and see this, but it has six questions when someone comes out to you that a local leader should ask, and this is just a follow-up to help. Um, I wish I'd read these questions before I was a local leader. Um, will you tell me, and so let's just role play, I'm not going to ask you these questions, but let's just say we're sitting in a leadership chair and somebody like Bob, with a lot of courage and probably an elevator heart rate, walks in and shares, you know, this experience that I experienced during the dysphoria. Here are the, here are the questions. Will you tell me more about your experience? Number two, will you tell, what is it like for you? Number three, how have these feelings affected your life? And how have they affected the lives of your family and friends? Number four, how can I help you? Number five, would you like to meet regularly to discuss this? Number six, labels have different meanings for different people. What label, basically, I'm paraphrasing this, what label would you like me to call you? And that is from um, Counseling Resources. On the church's website, there's a section there if you find counseling resources that says same-sex attraction. If you click on that link, it'll ask you to log in with your church ID. And if you're a local letter, leader, it recognizes you're a local leader and lets you log in. But I I love those—none of those questions were yes and no, Bob. They would require you to open up and share, and then it creates that feeling that I think I, I that you need to feel like you belong— those are really good questions, and I can probably add a little bit to them in the sense of once you, again, establish a bit of rapport, to be able to just ask, what is it that you feel? When do you feel this? You know, Just really try and understand what they're going through and asking questions that they can pull out, because when, when you have gender dysphoria, again, you're you're fighting a lot of shame or a lot of things that have been hidden. And it's getting those things out, which can actually be helpful. Um, do you have, we're kind of at the end of the podcast, do you have just some closing thoughts um, that you'd like to share with our listeners, things we haven't gotten to? I'm going to let you think about that. Why I'm, that's my I'm just going to give our listeners a couple thoughts so you can think about that. We have, if if you want more podcasts, um, 
for people that are transgender and or dis- gender dysphoria, you can go to listenlearnandlove.org forward slash podcast and there's a whole you can there's a drop down menu there and they're organized um and bobs will be listed there but uh, just a couple episodes i want to rec- recommend if you want to learn more episode 37 is dr lisa hansen who's done a lot of therapy work with transgender latter-day saints um 48 is grace and more and grace and more is someone that was working with his mother as a transgender man and they kind of talk about hormones being the ram in the thicket that really s- saved this young man's life um, and just felt like personal revelation led them to hormones as a way to help this young man. And and so, you know, it's just a unique space. Um, so just some more thoughts. Any thought, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah. Why don't you share a thought about your good wife and how she— well, this isn't a, that's kind of a leading question. Let's ask it more objectively. What has your wife done to help you um, along this way? Well, I, I feel very blessed because I know a lot of uh, spouses, wives, who go through a similar thing um, really walk a hard road. And I think maybe one of the reasons why our road might not be quite as hard is because of how she supported me. You know, you think, oh, I'm the one who's doing it, but no, she's been by my side. Through the ups and downs. Sorry. I love her a lot. Um, If I were going to leave any closing remarks, um, I might mention that uh, I, I do have a desire for others to understand and to learn more about what it's like to have gender dysphoria. So I do have a podcast out there. Yeah, tell our listeners that podcast. It's called Faith and Gender. And there I address a number of these issues, and I have quite a few more to go. I've I've walked a long road, and, and there's a lot that can be shared. So that's there. But again, um, maybe, maybe to close, I, I'd like to just maybe mention one of the things that has... Um, had one of the biggest impacts for me while going through this, and it's my family. Um, It's been really hard at times to not transition. And to want to feel relief and and help. But each time that those thoughts would come into my mind, I thought about my family. I thought about my kids and how I wanted to be their father. And I wanted to be a husband to my wife. And not just in this life, but I wanted an eternal family. And it was those thoughts that oftentimes pulled me through some really hard times. So I think I think family is so important. And I know when it comes to a lot of Individuals who suffer with gender dysphoria, it's a real tough situation family-wise. A lot of pain. And my heart really goes out to them because I imagine they feel for their family like I feel for mine. But I think somehow in the end, as long as we just keep trying and 
and, and doing the best that we can, the Lord will sort this out. Again, we're not supposed to be perfect in this life. We're just supposed to be improving and, and learning and growing. And then the Savior will make up the difference. I love that, Bob. On behalf of all of our listeners, we're grateful to have Bob Burgraff, B-U-R-G-G-R-A-A-F, on the podcast. His dear wife, Ema, has been here, spelled I-N-M-A. They've held hands the whole time. Um, I didn't mention this at the beginning of the podcast, but one of your sons, Pharaoh, I had the chance to be his YSA bishop. I don't know if you're listening, Pharaoh, but you're a great man. I sure enjoyed being your bishop. And I encourage our listeners to check out Bob's podcast, Faith and Gender, um, to learn more about this topic. And I'm grateful for Bob starting a podcast. Podcast is a great platform. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.